0: Welcome to Female Founder World. It's Jasmine. I'm the host of the show and the creator of the Female Founder World universe. Today I'm chatting with the founder of Experiment Beauty, Lisa Guerrera. Let's get into the show. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Garnsworthy. Lisa, welcome to Female Founder World. Hi, I'm happy to be here. For people who don't know Experiment and what you're building, talk us through it.
1: Yeah, so Experiment at kind of the highest level is a Gen Z science-backed beauty brand. Um, We make hyper-effective, thoughtfully sustainable, and ridiculously fun skincare um, that basically is trying to reinvent Gen Z's medicine cabinet um, through that lens. So, um, you know, all of our products are clinically tested. Um, We actually formulate them in our own lab uh, in-house, which makes them really unique. Um, And we verify all of our sustainability stats, to protect us from greenwashing, uh, which I think is really important for brands of the future. Um, And then lastly, all of our stuff is fun um, because we really feel strongly that science doesn't need to be boring or sterile or black and white. It it should be whimsical and fun and interesting. And so we're really kind of calling back to a time where science used to be fun for us, like when we were kids, Um, and bringing that into kind of the consumer consumer landscape today mm.
0: I see that in your branding when you just said that
1: around like science was fun when you were a kid and yeah. I'm
0: looking at your branding. I'm like, oh, that re- really is a through line. Yeah. So you started this a few years ago. I've been following since literally day one. I yeah, think. a long time. Yeah. And you started with like $8,000. Is that right? Yeah. And now what are some milestones? What have you done in that time?
1: Yeah. So we actually, we, me and my co-founder Emmy, So we started this company during the pandemic really from kind of the uh, thought process that like, cool, there's a bunch of science back brands in the space that we love that have done a lot to educate consumers but we feel strongly that the next generation of science back brands are going to make science cool they're going mm-hmm. to make it fun they're going to make it interesting um, and they're going to be really differentiated through their own branding versus kind of the previous generation which is all, kind of hard to differentiate between. Um, so, you know, we started that with that kind of idea um, and we wanted to bootstrap the business because I'd actually done a business prior to experiment. And I was kind of like honestly burned out from like that hamster wheel of trying to raise funding. Mm. And I was 22 right out of college. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was able to raise a little bit through like angels and pitch competitions, but really nothing significant. And um, we wanted to try bootstrapping. Yeah, we started with like basically $8,500 total is what we put into the launch. And we just kind of pulled together our savings, honestly. And I didn't have much savings. I was actually working at Apostrophe as head of brand, which is a teledermatology brand. Um and I had some money saved up from like working there for about a year. So we literally pulled all that together and started. And so uh, we started with Avant Garde, which is our reusable sheet mask. Um, which is like a bright green. Yeah. Very distinctive. Yeah. And if you like scroll on our feed, you'll see it immediately. Yeah. It's one of the things I think we we basically consider it the billboard of our brand. And it's one of the things that, you know, when we were fundraising the first time, a lot of VCs were like, hey, I think i have I think I've seen this product Mm. before and they don't necessarily remember the name or they remember the brand, but they remember that weird looking green mask. I'm like, that's all I need. Cool. That's my end. So, you know, we stuck in people's minds that way, but we started with that mask because um, A, it was like a low cost to entry, low barrier to entry. Um, Making a skincare product is really expensive. Um, And you're a chemist. Yeah. Yeah. And so was my co-founder. You can make it. Yeah. Yeah. And so was my co-founder. My co-founder is the one who actually formulates all of our skincare. Mm. Um, But we actually started ironically with a physical, you know, product Um, and, and And not kind of a a softer liquid product. Um, And so... We started there because it was just more cost-effective and, and we were able to source a manufacturer, customize that mask, and then we launched it um, kind of with our own money. And we didn't spend any ad dollars or anything like that. So I was a TikToker, I still am, but I, I had was a newly minted, I would say, like TikTok skinfluencer at the time. Um, and so I basically called in a bunch of favors from friends, sent them the product. They really liked it and they're like, well, cool, I'll post about it, that's fine. Um, and that's kind of how we gained our first traction. and And in five months since that launch, Um, we ended up selling out of our product and we had in total about 1500 units so that we sold through so nothing crazy but we were working other jobs but we wanted to kind of test the market and see like is this weird looking mask that honestly doesn't look pretty, traditionally in mm-hmm. beauty where everything has to like look pretty, can we lean into the ugly and the weird and do people and does that resonate with people? And it did. It basically turned into its own like meme, right? People are saying it's giving Shrek, it's giving, you know, Jim Carrey's the mask, like it's alien. <laughs> um and we are tapping into something I think that we're seeing very clearly now in the landscape that um people wanted something weird and a little different um and so that's that's how we started so you built some confidence with that
0: um you've been in business now for what three this is your third year
1: yeah it's our third year we definitely had a hiatus once we sold out of our first our like soft launch first round um to raise money and we actually you know re redesigned the mask and everything um and now it's patent pending on the design but we yeah, this is basically our third calendar year as wow. a
0: business. And can you share like some revenue milestones since then or you, that fundraise that you did like how much you were able to raise to kind of like help people pinpoint how you have kind of like you know, you've really shot up since that first year.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, what we raised uh initially. So, we did that soft launch. We um took that hiatus to redesign our mask. Mm-hmm. Um and raise that funding. We raised that funding specifically because we realized um, through that test, which is why I always encourage people to like test Bootstrap if you can. We realized that, cool, this is a bigger brand than just like a mask brand. Um, We can can really reimagine what science looks and feels like for the consumer, right? And that was really compelling. And so we ended up raising a million dollars in a pre-seed. We did that through a safe note um, and we got some really great investors. It was definitely a long journey to get there. I had started that, i soft started that fundraising in the summer, started talking to people. Ironically, Clubhouse is what kicked that off, right? Oh, really? Throwback. What, you were
0: like jo- talking on Clubhouse Yeah. And connected with investors? Then? Yeah.
1: And that, well, it was like first, none of them ended up investing, but it's what started the conversations. And you need that momentum Mm. to get going. Um, And so we relaunched our avant-garde mask in April of last year. Um, And that was with a new design that we worked on with our customers. Uh, And now it's patent pending. We actually moved manufacturing to the US to save carbon emissions. Um, So we actually reduced our carbon emissions by like 73%, um, which was really amazing. So um, but yes, yeah, since then, um, in our first year, so first year after, you know, uh, 2022 rather. Um, in 2022, we only did like 150k in revenue. It was great for us, but you know, it was it was also far more than we did the first time in our soft launch, which we made about like 30k mm-hmm. um, just from like you know selling that mask online and. Um, then this year we're actually about to hit like 1.4, 1.5 by Amazing. the end of the year. So that's really exciting. So we basically 10X revenue. Yeah, it was great. And and I think, you know, the biggest learning lesson from that was that organic really can work, um, but it takes time and it's a little unpredictable. So our first year we were like, oh, like, are we are we really doing the right thing? It's just doing so much better because we have super saturated, we have buffer gel. we actually have skincare products on the market.
0: Okay, talk to me about what your or launch strategy is for new product. I know that you've been able to really successfully build like big wait lists. Mm-hmm. How have you done that? This is something that all of us want to do. Yeah, Talk us through your, your strategy.
1: Yes. So wait lists, I think are the number one reason we've been able to like build fast momentum on product launches. So for new avant-garde we may be at a thousand people on that wait list so nothing crazy but we didn't it's not pre-sale is it's it's capturing an email exactly so this is not we're not capturing credit card information or anything Mm -hmm. this is simply just building essentially an Mm -hmm. email list of people who have said that they are interested in this product um so we started with like that thousand person wait list um we had about a 20 percent conversion rate on that wait list to purchase so basically what that means is like we send an email out saying hey you can buy it now. And about 20% of the people on that list ended up buying the product, mm. which is great. And we usually offer some kind of incentive for signing up for the waitlist, So whether it be free shipping or 15% off, something where it should be only if you get on the wait list and it should be ephemeral. So like 48 hours yeah. after the product launches, you have to get 15% off. And if you wait, you're not going to get that, that discount again. Um, and I think that really drives people to buy within the first 48 hours, which is how we measure our conversion as well. So I think that that's really important. Um, and then kind of the way we build up those wait lists, the next time we built a wait list was for super saturated. That was building. What's super saturated? Oh, right. So <laughs> should, should explain that, but super saturated is our, our hero skew. It's a 30% glycerin serum. I've it's, seen it all over the Yeah, night. it's, it's blue in this like pill shaped bottle. It's got this gooey snail mucin like texture, and it has one of the highest percentages of glycerin in a serum on the market. Um, it's really, really difficult to formulate with glycerin. Um, especially in a serum format because glycerin can get really sticky. Mm. Um, so you might have seen it in maybe cleansers, right? Um, there's a few like high glycerin cleansers coming out. That makes sense because you're washing it off, mm-hmm. but this is actually staying on your skin. And so when you formulate with high amounts of glycerin, it can get kind of sticky. So most of your skincare products, if you turn around the bottle, they've got glycerin in it, And but it's usually in about 5 to 10%, usually below 5%. In best case, usually about ten percent. Okay.
0: Um so, so you've got this like super differentiated yeah, yeah. product with like
1: your fun weird branding around it. Yeah. People want it. People want it. They they actually don't even know what it is when we're building this wait list. I think that's that was part of the mystery. Mm. Um it depends. I think it depends on the kind of brand you have, but I'm very, I didn't want to say anything until we launched because I knew that this was going to be a really, really interesting product. The second we said 30% glycerin to influencers, for example, they lit up. Right, So I wanted to kind of keep the element of surprise yeah. because I think that would drive more purchases um, when they just hear 30% glitch and they're like, okay, I have to have that. Um, so you kind of have to understand your product to figure out if you should announce it before or after – before as you're building the waitlist or not. But um, we basically – lab sampled the product to a bunch of influencers um they would post about it on their stories right so influencers were allowed to make videos about the lab samples just not say what the main mm-hmm. you know kind of sell was And um, they were they were only really saying basically this is the best serum I've ever tried how did you get them to do that um a make a great product that is number one I like even a lot of them are my friends but like it would still be hard to, to get them to post if they didn't feel strongly about the product. Um, and we also lab sampled early and often. So um, as early as six months before the launch happened. Um, so once you had your formula set- Yes, And yes, you're like yes. then working on packaging- Exactly. And like all of that. We usually, so the key for formulating in-house is that you have more flexibility than mm-hmm. when you're working with an R&D house. Um, so when we were basically done with the formula, there were small tweaks maybe we could make, but basically formula was done. We packaged it up to 10 influencers who we really trusted, um, who we knew would like it. We pre-vetted just based on what we know about them. So I I picked people specifically, not because I talked to them beforehand, but because I'm like, she would love this. Mm. I know she would love this. And it takes knowledge about the people you're working with. You have to pay attention as a founder to know Who's going to like what? Um, So we curated that list and we we gifted them those lab samples. They loved it. They wanted more. We asked for their feedback. We asked for anything they'd want to change, how they would describe it. That actually helped us market the product too. So, there's a lot of steps that go into it to like build up confidence in the product. And then they're they're so well, the second I said, "Okay, now you're allowed to talk about it." They're like, "Oh, I'm talking about this." <laughs> um, because they've been using it for a few months already and Asking constantly for more lab samples, and they're like, "I just can't get enough of this," and so it's a really strong endorsement, and that is actually what helped build the wait list. So this the call to action for them, and and again, we didn't pay for any of this. Um, the call to action for them, I just let them know, just tell people to get on the wait list. That's all we care about. Just get on the wait list. Get on the wait list. Um, and so you know, that's really how we built it is through TikTok, through word of mouth, um, social media. And um, what we did is we set up a landing page on our website um, and basically had like this mystery component, right? That was the pill shape of experiments mm-hmm. component um, and gave almost like a, a poetic description of what it is without revealing any of the information. It's like this mysterious blue goo is gonna keep you high. You know, it's like using intriguing words and stuff they haven't heard a beauty product described as before. We leaned into the gooiness and the stickiness, quote unquote, the weird texture of the product to get people interested. Um, and then that's what really made them want to put in their email. And then, of course, there was an incentive of you get 15% off your your order if you order within the first 48 hours. And you
0: uh, communicated that incentive once the product went live or as people were signing up?
1: As people were signing up, because mm-hmm. I think that actually really incentivizes people to put in their email and they're like, okay, I want the optionality of getting 15% off, right? I don't have to buy it, but I want the optionality to do it. And that helps you build up that waitlist. And the waitlist is important because the more and more people you have on it, as long as they're, you know, uh engaged or, or quality, right? You don't want like, you know, just people putting in their emails for the sake of it. Um, but as long as you can have a certain conversion rate, you're just converting more and more people. Mm. So it's important to have that waitlist grow. Um, and so that was my singular focus, literally up until the day of launch. We, we, The night before we sent out an email that said like last chance to get on the waitlist. Um, and I think that's really important as well, because it just makes the waitlist feel more and more important. Um, and so on that waitlist, I think we grew to about 2,000 the first time um, or 2,500 the first time. Uh, and we had, again, about a 21% conversion rate. So it was pretty consistent across the board for us. Um, it depends on your email kind of engagement, but the benchmark that I was put against was like 10 to 15% mm-hmm. conversion. So 20% 20 plus percent is really, really great. Um, so just aim as high as you possibly can. Um, and so that's kind of how we build up the first wait list. And then, um, you know, this is basically famous at this point, but super saturated was sold out for about three months in, in from March to middle of June. Um, it was one of the hardest times of our business. Um, I, I would say the second hardest time of our business after you know, when we launched, when we first launched, like, obviously it's hard to do that, but, um, it was, it was hard to keep momentum. But the only thing that really kept momentum is that waitlist. So, um, when it's sold out, the product page turns into a waitlist. Um, so the add to cart button becomes an ad, you know, join waitlist button. They get the incentive of 15% off when it comes back in stock. Um, and we knew it was going to be out of stock for a while. Um, we didn't plan for it. We just had a big influencer talk about us and it, nearly wiped all of our inventory yeah it was it was wonderful but like definitely (laughs) stressful um and so for that waitlist we did something very similar which was instead of lab samples we made sure to keep like a very important like 50 units of super saturated left and we really didn't have much Um, and the reason we were sold out was supply chain you know there was just our packaging was taking a very long time to come Um, so we would make lab samples if we could for influencers. We wanted to make sure to keep the influencers stocked, Mm -hmm. our most like, um, uh, loyal influencers. Uh, and we kept them stocked as much as possible. And they even knew, like, we were like, okay, we can't send it to you right now, but we can send it to you like in a little bit. There was, there was this mindset of shortage, um, where like, you don't want to do this too often, but you know, it really worked in this case where, Um, We created this kind of um, yeah like shortage effect um, where it was a a product that was hard to get to get your hands on, Um, and so through that by keeping influencer stock, they were still able to talk about it um towards the end it was like they're like i'm running out and they would make videos where mm, they're like oh my god so i'm helpful. running out yeah and and people would be like well do you know when it's coming back in stock and i would keep them posted about you know where we were and honestly we didn't always know when it was coming back you know the date you know got pushed by two weeks or um and so they'd be like i don't know but i talked to the brand and they said maybe next month or like in a, in a week um and so you know, we just kept that wait list as the CTA constantly. Um, and that's how we built it up to 10,000 people. Wow. Um, so, again, social media was really the way and, and time, right? You don't wanna do this last minute. You wanna build those wait lists for as long as you possibly can.
0: That's incredible. And then how did the conversion go? Yeah, so
1: that one was 24%, wow. which was really, really great. I mean, I think it's higher, honestly, because it's, I'm really basing that off of kind of like Clavio, yeah. um, but but there's definitely, you know, so much more happening there. And then the other strategy we used um, when we restocked, which I th- also think is something really powerful for launches as well, um, but specifically restocked because we knew that like super Saturated was super popular. The second any influencer made a video about. It restocking, people would go and buy it, right? So they were the people that were Mm. like spreading the word that it was back. So there are plenty of people who don't sign up for waitlists, right? But they want to know when it's back. So you know, you want to use your network of people as your um, as your kind of amplifier. And so what we did was we uh, we actually do commission through ShopMy, um, which is kind of a platform that's great for beauty brands. Um, You want to get your brand on ShopMy. um, Lots of Skincare and beauty influencers put products on their shelf, and they get an affiliate commission that. Heard yeah, of that. no, ShopMy—I I would say for beauty, it's the best. Um, maybe not as much for fashion or things yeah. like that, but but beauty specifically, if you are a beauty brand, I highly recommend ShopMy. I think there's just so many um, great creators on there. Um, and I'll put a link in the show notes, everyone. Yeah, and and it's very easy to set up commission. I think one of the issues that a lot of founders face and even a lot of influencers like so many platforms to get commission off of there's mm-hmm. nothing centralized shop we actually do all of our commission through that platform um and so uh all of our i would say like 85 percent of our creators are on there so um we use that platform and um we basically increase their commission um during that Restock period. Smart. Yeah. So we increased it from 15, which is our standard, to 20% commission. And that actually drove a lot of videos mm. talking about that it's back. Um, and they also got rewarded for for making that content. I had my one of my – our top, our top um, you know, influencer, who is also a friend of mine, she messaged me and she was like – she opened her shop my account. And she had made so much money off of that restock that she was like, is this a mistake? And I'm like, no, you really did make that much money. So it's possible to really reward your creators just for making one or two videos um, through that commission model. You just have to do it in kind of the authentic, you know, right And then those people are going to be supporting you
0: forever. Oh, yeah.
1: They want to know the announcement
0: next time you have the relaunch. They want to be the one that's like typing that up because it is leading to real money
1: for them. Exactly. I think when they see that talking about your brand actually rewards them too. Huge, you know, you want to use that specifically, um, but when you use it at the right time and it hits, uh, you can really, uh, you know, create a lot of loyalty. You're someone I think who has um,
0: really, I don't know, you think like really deeply about marketing and brand, and uh, you were kind of early, I think, on this Gen Z aesthetic that we're seeing like a lot more of now. I'm really curious about what your thoughts are about this kind of style of branding becoming more dominant whether we're going to have like another swing towards more minimalist like Mm -hmm. how do you feel how do you think about your brand and how it sits within this aesthetic and like the the shifting kind of consumer (laughs) behavior around that
1: the consumer soup um yeah the soup the soup um yeah no i think it's a really also it's an interesting point that you bring up like are we going to swing back to minimalism um, you know, we were, yeah, we were very early. So for context, um, we had started uh in October, like we officially incorporated in October 2020, but we'd been working on the branding for obviously mm. before that. It was like you and Euphoria, Yeah, yeah. They actually launched, I think, right before we did. Yeah. So we were probably thinking in the same exact vein mm-hmm. of like, you know, this kind of brighter um you know, poppier, that green, right? You know, the Gen Z green, as people are calling it now. But yeah, we were very early to that. I mean, our our hero flagship product is that color. Mm. Um, And the reason we went with it, though, I think is a lot, um, I'd say different than I'd say what I see most Gen Z brands doing right now. And I think that's what allows experiment. We've gotten questions before of like, do you guys feel like your brand is gonna, um, you know, uh, become out of trend, right? And and we actually started experiments specifically because we we were learning lessons from brands of the past. Like Glossier is an amazing brand, and I think one of the things that we've learned though from their trajectory is is branding and and how too high and too strict brand walls actually restrict your ability to grow with with, uh, a generation, mm. right. Or be able to stay fluid in but a things market. Things are moving
0: too, too quickly now, I exactly. think to be like super rigid
1: about it. Exactly. So, um, it's kind of in the name, right? We, we stay fluid. We experiment with our branding. Mm. Um, but we, yeah, we were very early and and we chose that green, not because it was Gen Z green to us. It definitely felt that way, but it's because it was the opposite of millennial pink mm. and, it actually spoke a lot to the science of the brand. So when I think, you know, that that really like, you know, uh, green, we call it acid lime. Um, And so it's kind of got this almost toxic waste energy to it. And um, for us, we were trying to rebrand science, um, and especially chemistry into something that didn't feel toxic or or scary, right? When we think chemicals, most people think negatively, right? Um, Or they think of, you know, pollution or toxic Mm. waste or things or, or a beaker with like bubbling green liquid, right? Like, how do we almost rebrand that to be interesting? How do we lean into that kind of toxic waste vibe and, and make it something not aspirational, but something more interesting? And so um, we chose that green specifically because it's of its relation to chemistry and not necessarily the relation to Gen Z, which I think does allow us a bit more fluidity as we think about the brand in the future. Now, to your point around us turning towards minimalism potentially. I do think we will eventually. I think, you know, it, it all works in cycles. Um, but I do think it's going to look different um, mm. than kind of the millennial predecessor. And I think we're actually already seeing the transition. Totally. I agree. We're already seeing it. And even experiment is actually leaning into that transition too. Um, we've gone more chrome as we've, mm. you know, kind of progressed, you know, in 2020 our and 2021, our look was very different than what it is today and i think it just speaks to the fact that you know we're putting our finger to the wind and seeing where it goes and the brand at its heart is not necessarily rooted in a gen z aesthetic it's rooted in kind of what we call like you know future nostalgia Mm. that's kind of the the essence of our of our visual branding and so we we take that future nostalgia lens and and apply it visually and sometimes green comes out of that and i think green will will continue to be our color but um chrome really starts kind of coming out of that thinking forward about you know science and kind of science optimism and like that all comes out visually so i think for experiment while we see the the parallels i think the direction that we're heading is is a little different because it comes from a very different place than just like we're looking at the market trends and we want the color to be trendy, right? Yep. So, Got it. Um, I want to talk about team for a minute here. Who's building this
0: with you? And are there any agencies, contractors, freelancers that you want to shout out and who you think are awesome?
1: Yeah. Okay. So team right now is really lean and I think that's, we're tired, but it's a good thing. Um, so it's myself and my co-founder primarily. Um, the way we kind of split the business is I'm marketing, fundraising, kind of those things, uh, more front-facing things, and um, she formulates all of our work work with. Um, and then on the ops side, we do have like an ops team that we work with. Um, hey, CPG is their name. They're great. Uh, happy to. they're like an me. agency? Yeah. Yeah. So they're um, they work specifically with beauty brands. Mm. Um, and so they are kind of your outsourced ops team. Mm. So uh, they actually helped the us move fulfillment centers when we outgrew ours. Um, they have a lot of experience with Sephora. They've worked with brands like Crown Affair as well. Um, so they're they're a great team um and then uh we do have like another ops consultant that's independent that we work with that we are actually hiring so and how are you thinking about retail yeah so retail wise oh and one more person i do want to shout out um for branding um we had got this is like us i definitely think a tough spot for a lot of founders who are creative branding agencies are so hit or miss i will say like on our I think it was like our third or fourth try. We finally found people that were really great. Um, Nikita at blank. Um, Excellent person if you're really, and not just beauty, any, any kind of brand. She was the one person that I felt like was on the same level as me in terms of like you know, thinking about brand, she thinks really deeply and, and her ideas are very, very, very unique. Um, and I think she really helped us wrap up our brand and make it a bit more cohesive, which is why you see that evolution over time is that we had a lot of piecemeal solutions until, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we worked with them and they were able to kind of, uh, wrap up the brand really well. Um, so I, I think they're great as well. We love a design recommendation. Yeah, that's that's always hard.
0: Okay, retail. <laughs> yes. Are you thinking about retail? Are you in retail? Is it in the pipeline? What's the give us the cliff notes on what's happening here?
1: Yeah. So 95% of our business is D 2 C today. Yeah. Um
0: Yeah, I heard about those waitlists. Yeah,
1: the waitlist. <laughs> um, you know, we we our D 2 C is very strong, but that doesn't mean retail is not on the horizon. Right now, we are in Urban Outfitters, um, but you know it's definitely not as big of a footprint, for example, as like a Sephora and Ulta. Yeah. Um, in the future, definitely, you know, going down tier one beauty retail, that's where we want to be. Um, you know, but we're thinking more twenty twenty five. I think gotcha. we still have a lot more brand building to do, and I think the key is your product assortment needs to be right, mm-hmm. uh, and we're still working that out. So, yeah. you know, we have a few products launching next year that I think will get us to that point. Um, but it's it's making sure you don't go in too early. Totally. You, you only to get ready. one shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That's what we hear over and over and over yeah. again from founders. It's don't like, rush. No one launches in Sephora twice. Yeah. Like you get one shot. If it doesn't hit, you're out. Exactly. So you want to make it right. Um, yeah. I feel like this is going to happen for you though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <last laughs> We're working question. on it. Last question is for some resource recommendations. Things that have been helping you as you've been building experiment. You've dropped a few great ones, but anything else that you just think people should go and check out?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, as far as newsletters are concerned, there's a million a million newsletters you could you could honestly have. I think um Emily Sunberg has a really good newsletter mm. called Feed Me that's just kind of internet culture and it it's helpful to also and like what businesses are doing in kind of the CPG beauty space just just all over consumer. Um and then I will say I think Business of Fashion uh you know, I honestly would recommend I don't usually do say this, but I would honestly recommend like paying for the subscription there. I do think Business of Fashion has really, really great, um, just articles and insights. Um, Glossy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend actually writes the Glossy Pop newsletter, so if you're particularly interested in Gen Z and what's happening on TikTok, that's a great resource. Um, and that's one that you can just subscribe to. Amazing. So that's always great. Um, but yeah, I think newsletters are always a great thing to get into your inbox. Um, and books. I think you know there's a million books about um, you know branding and business. But I will say like you know find books from like creative directors who you really admire. Um, find books from people. Don't ju- don't just read anything anyone else is reading. Read from people who you really admire and and who you want to know how their brain works and. Um, I think that's always more helpful than anything. I love that tip. Follow your
0: own curiosity yeah. rather yeah. than what's worked for yeah.
1: somebody else. Because what's, what resonates with me might yeah. not resonate with you. Totally.
0: Lisa, thanks so much for coming on the show. This yeah. has been awesome. Like packed with advice. I love
1: it. Okay. I'm glad. <laughs>
0: Quick shout out to all of our business bestie subscribers. If you are loving this show and you are building a consumer, CPG, or e commerce business, or you're about to build one, this membership will give you access to the people, experiences, and the tools that you really need to build your dream business. Head to femalefounderworld.com forward slash subscriber for more.